This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here is your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Whitney Johnson is the CEO and founder of WLJ Advisors. She's a best-selling author and an executive and performance coach. She is a fellow Thinker's 50 top management thinker and author of the critically acclaimed Disrupt Yourself. Her new book builds on that earlier work, and it's called Build an A-Team. And this is what we talked about in the episode you're about to listen to. We talk about climbing up the S-shaped learning curve and why it's useful to have the right mix on your team. Novices who are just learning and asking challenging, perhaps annoying questions. Those in the sweet spot who have gotten up past that first knee in the S of the learning curve, they know what they're doing, they can take on more. And finally, those who have gotten past the second knee and are up at the top, kind of plateauing, have mastered their roles. You need a mix. Whitney provides examples from work and from home, especially for parents, about how to be comfortable when you're at the bottom of the learning curve, and how to help people who have grown bored to disrupt themselves by starting afresh on a new curve. So now, get set to listen and learn about how to build a great team at home and at work, and keep everyone learning for themselves and for each other. It's Whitney Johnson. Whitney Johnson, welcome to Work in Life. Thank you, Stu. I'm delighted to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. Um, so your forthcoming book, Build an A-Team, Play to Their Strengths and Lead Them Up the Learning Curve, seems so simple, but I'm, I know it's not easy to do, but a set of ideas available to everyone. It's about the workplace for sure, and, and there are some important lessons we can also apply to the intersection of work and the rest of life, in particular, you know, construing the idea of your home environment as a kind of team. But before we get to that, let's get the basic ideas down. Could you briefly summarize for our listeners how, what are the essential things you need to know to build an A-team at work? Yes. So what I want everyone to do who's listening, including you, Stu, is to picture an S, a letter you probably like because your name starts with S. I and do. picture an S and a learning curve. And so at the very bottom of that S, mm-hmm. whenever you try something new, whether you're starting a new job, a new project, you're becoming a new parent, you've just gotten married, you've bought a new house, whatever it is, you're at the low end of that learning curve and initially very inexperienced. You don't know much about what you're doing. Making a lot of mistakes, uh, probably. (laughs) Lots and lots of mistakes. Causing all kinds of angst and discomfort for myself and other people. 
for everyone involved. And what's interesting about this, and I'll, I'll go through this, this S curve and also the psychology around it, is so whenever you're at the bottom of a learning curve, you are typically there, if it's a job, for example, for six months to a year. And if you think of it being an S, a lot of time passes, and it looks like not much is happening. And so when you know that you're at the bottom of a learning curve, it helps you actually avoid discouragement. Now, the flip side of that being at the bottom of that curve is even though you're inexperienced and you're somewhat slow, you can bring tremendous value to your organization or to your family, to your home, et cetera, because the fact that you're inexperienced means that you're going to ask all sorts of questions like, why are you doing it like this? This doesn't quite make sense to me. Can you help me understand? Think of a three-year-old. They're very pesky. Why, 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 why? And you think, oh. Why are you asking so many questions? And yet there's so much gold in those questions, whether you're at work or at home, of helping you think, how might we do things differently? So but those questions, are, those questions are often quite annoying and off-putting and disruptive, if I may say. They absolutely are. And so it's one of the reasons why, you know, if you're thinking about, just like I said, a three-year-old, but also in the workplace, whenever someone's asking a lot of questions, the reasons that they're annoying and even a little bit of threatening, because mm-hmm. when they're saying, why do we do it like this? Mm-hmm. They're basically saying, you're doing it like this, you the status quo, and there's some sort of threat in, inherent in that. And yet, as I said, there's such an opportunity there, because when they're asking, why do we do it like this? That's that's the potential for innovation to do things differently, um, whether it's your family unit or your mm-hmm. business unit. So that's the that's the base of the S. Then after you put in some effort, some real effort, you move to the knee of that S and the tipping point where um, you start to move up the back of that S, which is very, very steep. And this is when you don't have to do much and a lot of really good things happen. happen. And so this is the sweet spot where you know enough but not too much. And so you feel competent and with that comes confidence. And that's where, you know, you've been a parent maybe three or four years and you're like, oh, I think I know what I'm doing. Maybe even until they're 10 or 11 and they become teenagers and you're like, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. Same with the workplace. You know, once you've been in a job one to two years, you start thinking, I think I might, I think I might be hitting my stride where you know, you know something, but you don't know so much that you're bored. So that's a mm-hmm. steep part of the curve. So the, the part of engagement, which is where you want people to try to be as much as possible. Why is that? Because well, because when you're engaged, what happens? You are happy. You're productive. I can give you lots and lots of stretch assignments saying, you know, here's this box. I'm just going to put you in this, but you know enough to figure your way out of that box, meaning constraints like I need you to get this done in half the time or I need you to get this done with half the budget or I know um, you don't know everybody inside of the organization, but I need you to figure out how to get buy-in from people so that we can move this forward. And so this sweet spot is really where you can get the most um, productivity out of people. And so that's why you want to optimize being there because that's where your organization is going to be the most innovative, especially when you compare it with people who are at the low end um, who are inexperienced Mm -hmm. and asking those questions that the people in the sweet spot can help you answer. Then what happens is you get people at the top of the learning curve, and that's where you're You've mastered it. You know exactly what you're doing, which is good, but it's also bad because when you know exactly what you're doing, you start to get bored. And so you've got this wonderful perspective. You're on the top of that curve, the top of that mountain. You've got this wonderful vista. But if you stay there too long, that plateau can actually become a precipice. And so what you need to do once you're at the top of that curve 
you need to disrupt yourself, jump to the bottom of a new curve and start all over again. And um, if you think about it, let's go back to the home life for a second. Think about your kids. They go to high school. They get to the top of a learning curve. They graduate from high school. It's time for them to jump to the bottom of a new learning curve. They go to college. They're at the low end of the curve. You've got students that this happens to all the time. They get to the top of the learning curve. Then it's, they're starting to get bored. It's time for them to graduate, go into the workforce, and, and do that over and over again. And I think even as parents, we have a similar situation where we can't sure. require our kids to be teenagers forever or even you know, 10 forever, we need to allow them to grow up and be willing to, to ourselves jump to new learning curves. So it has all sorts of implications and an application, whether you're at work or at, or at home. So, so the S-curve concept, what's, what's the hardest thing for people to deal with in understanding and actually applying this idea of recognizing? I mean, I think it's, it's, it's clear that the insight one gains from from grasping, ah, I'm just learning, so naturally I'm going to be asking questions that might seem strange to people and put them off. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so all parties understand and accept and embrace that and use that, leverage that. Uh, And that, you know, once you have some degree of of competence and confidence, that's when you're really going to be most productive. And that you achieve a level of mastery, well, yes, and now next. Uh, Right. That is... That is a really good model for for understanding you know the stages of of how we grow. Where do people get stuck in their continual progression uh, up and then up and then up and up and up the different s's that they uh, that they encounter? Well, you you've just hinted or alluded to a few of them, and it, it just, and part of it really depends on um, let let's let's take it from the point of view as you as an individual. So depending on who you are, you might get stuck at the low end if it's really uncomfortable for you to feel like you don't know what you're doing. So you don't want to try something new because it's going to mean that you don't have all the answers and you might look a little foolish, but that's what disruption is, is is this willingness to become a silly little thing for a while to disrupt the current um, version of you. So wait, a willingness to be a silly little thing. That's what's required. That, yes, it is. I that, mean, think about it. That's like, going to be a hard thing for a lot, a lot of, of people to do. Right. So, so how do right. you help people get past that uh, inhibition and anxiety that they must feel about trying something where they're going to be a novice when, once they were masters? We practice. I mean, really, hmm. it's it's like everything else. We it, It's a muscle that we develop and we get better at it over time. And and, you know, we're really good at it when we're young. But I was actually just thinking about this today where I'm, I'm at this event, this conference, and they were having some people get up on the stage and rap what they do for a living. And oh, I didn't do it, but I thought, you know what? I need to figure out how to do that because I would have really? definitely felt like a silly little thing. But Okay. So Whitney, Whitney, this, right? this could be your opportunity. Me? There's a lot of people listening. Maybe. <laughs> no, no. Well, let's see. If we run out of things to talk about, maybe. Uh, <laughs> right, right, exactly. But, so, but, I, but I think it's a, it's a, it's a practice thing, right? We, we're, it's a, it's a what? To try a what? A pr- it, it's a, it's precipice? something we practice. A practice, we practice. right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We get better at it. So so that's hmm. one place where we can get tripped up. I think another place where, oh, do you, do you want to say something? Yeah, no, thank you. Um, so the, the, the trip up is, is what exactly? That the, the fear of trying something new and, and acting foolishly? Yeah, it's our ego. It's our ego. We and, don't want to look stupid. And, so and we're the, afraid. And then what's the practice? The practice is, is in low-risk environments trying something new? 
or is it yeah. something different? Yeah. So yeah, exa- it's it's a willingness to practice trying new things in a low risk environment, and mm-hmm. so that's part of, you know, why at home you need to have people who love you, who when you try something new, it's okay that you like. For example, okay, ready for this. So the other day, my daughter's a vegan. So we have a daughter who's 17 and a son who's 21. So he's mm-hmm. a college. Our daughter's still home. And I don't cook a lot. It's not my thing. But she really wanted me to cook a meal. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a good mom today, right? So um, I cook these. I start to roast these Brussels sprouts. And I go upstairs to do some work. I forget about oh. them. And they oh, and I burn them. You burnt burnt the Brussels sprouts? Oh, my gosh. What a loser. Right, exactly. But isn't that, that's a great example, right, of my willingness to say, you know, I'm not really good at cooking, but it's important to her, so I'm going to try it. And I'll Uh see how I do, and that time I didn't do very well, and the next time (laughs) I'll do better. And so it's just, like I said, it's a willingness to be a little bit of a silly little thing. So how how did your daughter respond to that? She said, oh, Mom, I know you love me. (laughs) So she appreciated the effort. (laughs) Yes. She appreciated the effort. And I don't you think it's the same way at work, too? I mean, people, when we know someone works hard and it doesn't work, if if they've given Ah. it their best, we're like, okay, you know what? Well, what did you learn next time? uh, That's that's a generous and uh, some would say tolerant attitude that's not always, you know, possible depending on the performance pressures and the kind of environment you're operating in. So, Whitney, how, how do you deal when the, when the performance pressures are intense and learning is not the game that people want to be playing? Well, it starts with you as the manager. Um, I, I think that, you know, I remember after the first book, people would say, you know, how do, I, how do I get my boss to let me disrupt myself? And then, you know, sometimes we think, well, I can't let my people disrupt themselves. And the reality is, is that as long as your CEO will, or the person who you report to will kind of let you do your thing, you can create spaces for people, even if it's simple things like, I want you to try this, and, um, and I want you to, this quarter, make at least one mistake. Another way you can position it, and this is, I talk about this in my book, and it's um, a compensation consultant, Stacey Petrie, who, by the way, has her PhD from Wharton. So shout out to Wharton. Excellent. Um, she's, one of the things she said is that you can frame it. Oftentimes we have people take on new challenges that are stretch assignments and sort of make it this, not sort of, we make it binary, like they succeed or they fail. Instead, frame it as saying, all right, we're going to try this. We know there's some risk involved. It may not work, um, but we think it's the right business decision. We also think it's the right development assignment for this person. So there's probably a 70% chance it's going to work, but there's a 30% chance it won't. Um, Then you, as a manager, say to your boss, we're going to do it, but will you you have my back if it doesn't Mm. work? And so I think one of the ways that we can manage that and create the space is to have the conversation up front and make things a little bit less binary because then when you bake into the expectation that it is in fact an experiment, mm-hmm. not a pilot, mm-hmm. you're able to um, get the buy-in that you need to allow people a bit of latitude to mm-hmm. not have it work perfectly. Yeah, the concept of experimentation I have found uh, is a really important one and that language is very, very important for the very reasons you suggest to to, to let everyone know we're, we're going to try to learn from this. We're, we're going to produce something valuable, we hope, but, but we also want to gain working knowledge of what works, what doesn't, what, what needs to change going forward. So 
So how does how does the S curve concept relate to building an A team in the workplace? I'm so glad you asked that. Well, so if you think about um, how do you what's the problem we're trying to solve in the workplace? We're trying to uh, make sure that the people who work for us are being innovative. They're coming up with new ideas. They're productive. They're shipping product, et cetera. And so um, the way that you do that is make sure that people are engaged. And the way that you ensure that people are engaged is that they are learning. And so every single person um, is on a learning curve. And every organization is a collection of learning curves. And so you optimize for innovation. You optimize for engagement. You build an A-team with 70% of your people in the sweet spot at any given time where you're able to give them these stretch assignments. Um, 15% of your people at the low end who are asking those pesky questions that open the door to innovative ideas, and then 15% of your people at the Mm. high end who aren't necessarily innovating but have perspective and can help facilitate collaboration of the people who are at the lower end of the curve and bring them along before, of course, they jump to a new curve and then start the process all over again. So when you're able to optimize that way, you've got people who are are engaged Mm -hmm. um, and therefore innovating. And, and therefore able to manage through change so that instead of you, the organization, getting disrupted because they are disrupting themselves, you, the organization, become the disruptor. So, so the, you want a mix of, of, of novices, masters, and, and the bulk of your, your, your team operating at the, the highest level of both competence, confidence, and growth. Correct. In the sweet spot. That's right. Now, what is it that uh, keeps people from from moving from mastery to once again starting something new? Hmm. Uh, Fear and more fear. Well, not always fear. There are times when people get to the top of the learning curve and they're like, I like things right, like, you know, I paid my dues. You always Mm -hmm. know that someone's at the top of a curve when they say I've paid my dues. Hmm. And um, that's always a huge risk for, for you as an organization because when someone gets to the top of the curve, and they're bored, and they're either going to leave, which you don't want them to do if they're high, they have historically been high performers, or they're going to get complacent and stay, which is really bad for you as an organization. So mm-hmm. I think the biggest risk is that they either leave or they get complacent. And so the question for you as a manager or a leader, just like you would say to your child, no, you can't live at home until you're 30. Yes, you need to leave home and go get a job. It's the same thing with your people behind the curve. I think part of the question is, is how do we frame it? Because sometimes when people get to the top of a learning curve, you know, they've been in a role for three or four years. Mm-hmm. It's time for them to do something new, to try, take on a new assignment, you know, take on different clients, whatever it might be. They feel like you're pushing them off when you're not necessarily pushing them. You're basically saying, I need you at your best and you're not going to be at your best when you're bored. So I need you to go try something new for your good, but also for the good of the organization. And that, again, it comes back to a framing question. Let me, let me actually give you an example that I okay. think is, is useful and instructive here. So there's, um, so the NFL, um, there's a, a fellow named John Cave. And so one of the things he has done over the ca- past couple of years is he's, he's really helped um, improve the way that coaches can talk to one another during games. Um, And yet that may not have happened had it not been for a boss who was willing to say, you know, I don't think this is 
this is the right curve. Like, so you can sometimes be at the top of curve, but you can also be on the wrong curve. And so it's, it, but I think in, in both instances, actually, if you're at the top and you need to jump, it has become the wrong curve. So mm-hmm. she comes in as the CIO and she's like, you know what? He's good, but he's not slotted to his strengths. So here's what I want to do. I want to stop having him run all of enterprise systems and I want him to start building things. I, I want him to advance the game of football through technology or, you know, through technology. Hmm. And he resisted it. He's like, no, I don't want to do it because he felt like he was being demoted, like she was Hmm. taking things away from him. She said, no, 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 trust me. You are going to be a great innovator. And he, and he is. And so part of, again, it's a framing question Mm -hmm. of you as the boss, are you saying to them, I want you to jump to a new curve because I'm putting you out to pasture or you are talented you have historically contributed. I want you to continue to contribute. And the way that we're going to do that is by having you do something that both leverages your strengths and puts you in a position where you're learning and asking questions and things are fresh and new for you again. Um, and so I think that to me is a great example of the role a boss can create mm-hmm. or play and, and the ecosystem that they can create um, for a person who works for them and or for you know your children at home. I mean, again, it's applicable in both in both situations. Because what you're doing is is helping people to understand that they're always learning and that there are different stages of, uh, of growth in the development of a particular skill set or capacity to, to do certain kinds of things, certain kinds of work, uh, certain kinds of um, abilities as a, as a person. And, and that uh, the trick, it seems, what's inherent or you know, central to your model is that, uh, that to keep people in, you know, vital, engaged, alive, uh, they need to be continually, continually learning. And that is a, itself a dynamic process. Exactly. And I think one thing that's important to note here is that, you know, if you've got people who are professions with deep domain expertise, like, you know, an aeronautical engineer, you're not going to have them learn a whole new, you know, domain, right? So Mm -hmm. I think, because I remember when I was writing the book, someone said to me, well, but what about, you know, someone who's rocket scientist? And I said, well, you know, they're not going to have to go out and develop whole new, you know, become a new subject matter expert, but you can still have them jump to new curves by having them do new projects, um, new team configurations, a new boss, right? Every time you get a mm-hmm. new boss, you're effectively jumping to a new curve if mm-hmm. you think about it. Mm-hmm. So there are ways for you to jump to a new curve um, while still standing in place at some level. And so it's just a matter of making sure that there's enough newness mm-hmm. that their brain has to think about a jigsaw puzzle, right? Their brain has to sort of say, hmm, how do I make sense of this? And there's enough new that they're that, that that gets triggered inside of their brain so that they therefore question, innovate, and are their most engaged and productive. What, um, w- one more question before we're going to have to wrap up, unfortunately. I've, I've got a, a lot more I'd like to learn from you, Whitney, and I know that there's other ways to do that. Uh, but let me ask about the question of people uh, who were you know, just climbing up from the bottom. What, what, what's the most important thing for, for them to know and for the people who want to support them to know as they are in that discovery, learning, uncomfortable, trying out, asking new questions, fresh questions, uh, what, what's the most important uh, success factor for, for that phase? So for that phase, I would say two things. Number one is to 
make sure, so for you as a person, find ways to give yourself constraints so that you've got a way to, because you need something to bump up against and see how you're doing so you can iterate and course correct quickly. Also realize that it's going to be about six months where you're going to not know what you're doing. So when you go home at work, go home from work at night and be like, oh, I'm a failure. I don't know what I'm doing. Just say, oh yeah, that's normal. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to feel that way. So so be patient with yourself and, mm-hmm. and don't get discouraged. And I would say for the person who's managing you, it's the reverse of that is give them very concrete tasks early on. Like this week, I want you to work on this project and it's going to take you about a week to get done. Um, also, I want you to go meet these 12 stakeholders because these people are going to be important for you to get things mm-hmm. done. Make that part of your assignment mm-hmm. so that they're able to get, con- they have constraints, something to bump up against to get feedback. They can course correct much more quickly and start to move into the sweet spot of the curve. And then for you as the hiring manager, just again, recognize okay, they don't know what they're doing. So on those days where you're like, ooh, I made a bad hire. No, you didn't necessarily make a bad hire. It's just that you need to be patient because they don't know what they're doing yet. And what about the people who are who have achieved mastery and are still excited about doing what they're doing and continue to get better at it? But they're, st- so but they're at a level of... Go, go ahead. I would say they're in the sweet spot. So ah, if they're... Okay. If they're so, and that's a really great question. So if you're coming to work every day and you're just humming, like you're just you're just doing great and you're productive and you're innovating and you're having fun, then you you haven't reached mastery. You're you're still in that sweet spot. Okay. And so what you just need to monitor for is does the tedium set in? Um, but uh, you know you can again this is a this is a basic rule of thumb a heuristic, but it doesn't mean that people can't extend out that learning curve for a longer period of time. Uh, okay, so that's that's helpful. So so mastery in in this framing is is really about achieving a kind of plateau and Correct. and where where boredom is the is the big risk. Correct. Um, so, but you could be doing something where you are a master at your craft, and it continues to be fun, and you continue to stretch and find new ways to make it you know fruitful and fun for everybody. Um, <clears throat> that's that's not really mastery in this, in this, in this, not in this context. Okay. And, got and, it. Yeah. 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 And, and what I would say is, you know, taking this back up to the organization, the way that you can know you can use this framework as an organization or a team is if you're worried, if you're trying to figure out, are, are we like, things have been going really well, but are we at risk of being disrupted as an organization? Simply take the pulse of your workforce. Cause if you've got too many people at the high end, like, 30%, then you start to be at risk because, again, people are getting bored. And so you just need to do some load balancing of your S-curves. So you've got enough people who are figuring out how to disrupt themselves. Because, again, the fundamental unit of disruption is an individual. And if your people are trying to figure out how to make their place and and be innovative, then the, the, the innovative products and services will actually take care of themselves. All right. Uh, I know I said last question two questions ago, so I lied about that. I, I have one more, uh, and that is about uh, you know, for parents out there who are listening. How what, what what do you think is the most useful idea that comes out of this model for for parents? Um, I think the most useful idea for me, anyway, is this realization that once kids get to, that. That, that whenever they start like high school, they're going to be at the bottom, they're going to get to the top, then it's important for them when they graduate through high school to go do something new, whether it's college or, you know, get a job or whatever. And when they finish up college, they need to go do something new. And so mm-hmm. to understand and honor that and 
allow your children to be on their own learning curves and to be, be in the messiness of not knowing what they're doing, not do too mm. much for them. Um, once they get in the sweet spot, you know, to be the other day, my son was like, well, so how do you do this? I'm like, you know what? You're 21. You can figure out like give him a stretch mm-hmm. assignment and let him let him do it on his own. Mm-hmm. And then when they get to the top, um, allow them and encourage them. And even I would say require them to jump to new curves so that they can continue to grow and develop. And you as a parent grow and develop by, you know, they becoming empty nesters. You have to figure out what that looks like, too. And so as you're willing to honor that cycle, that biology of change, you as a parent, your children, and your family unit in general will continue to grow and develop in really meaningful mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. positive ways. How do you bring compassion to your working life, Whitney? That, I promise, is my last question. Such a good question. I've been asking all my guests because I think it's something we all need to be thinking about. So it, I wanna, it, I'm, it I'm is, closing all it, my it, shows with that, all my conversations. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful question. I, I think that the way I try to bring compassion, in fact, this just came up yesterday when I was kind of frustrated about something and I thought, mm-hmm. you know what, this person actually is doing the best that they know how and this is not about me. It's just about them trying to figure things out and to be willing and able to as much as I possibly can to put myself in their shoes. And I'd say probably the most important thing is to try to, at any given moment, see the person I'm talking to and interacting with as the most important person in the world. Because for that brief moment, they are. And when I can do that, then I, I, I'm, I'm better able to be compassionate. Hmm. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Whitney Johnson about how to understand patterns of learning and build great teams at work and at home using this knowledge. So here is a challenge for you, an invitation to ask yourself first, where are you on the learning curve? bottom, in the middle, up that sweet spot, part of the learning curve, or have you mastered whatever it is that's central to you? Well, once you've answered that question, then go further. If you're at the bottom of the learning curve, try asking more questions of your team about why they do what they do. If you're in that sweet spot, well, what more can you take on to continue to grow further, faster, and contribute more, better? And if you're at the level of mastery, well, now it's time to start thinking about the next curve for you to get on. So what might that be? Ask yourself one of these three questions, depending on where you decide you are in your learning journey, And then answer it. See if you can come up with a creative response and tell me what it is that you discover by looking at where you are through this lens. I would love to hear from you. You can write to me, friedman at wharton.upenn.edu or on Twitter, at Stu Friedman. And one other suggestion for you or an invitation for you to get in touch with me. If you have ideas about guests you'd like to hear on the show talking about work and life, reach out. Again, it's friedman at wharton.upenn.edu 
Or you can also write uh, to us at workandlifepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by commenting there or tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.